0: Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code The Athletic, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic.
1: I hope anybody's not stupid enough to write this off. It's two stars time. This is the Nottingham Forest podcast from The Athletic, where once a week we get together to discuss all the big news and notes from Trentside. On this episode, we get the inside track on Derby County ahead of Friday's game. Ryan rifles Reds past Rotherham. We react to the Reds' latest win. We'll answer your questions. And a series of accusations and recriminations await as we ask, did they really play for Forest? And are these clues definitely accurate? Available for free wherever you get your podcasts and ad-free on The Athletic. This. Is two stars. Hey, listener, thanks for joining us a little earlier than usual. It's Matt Davis-Adams here alongside the Athletics Forest correspondent, Paul Taylor. And, of course, joining us as ever, Big Evil, Nick Miller. Big Evil? My <laughs> God.
2: Are, are you going to run out? I mean, but the, the, there's been a lot of wrestling over the years, presumably that you're not going to run out of any of these nicknames, are you?
1: No, but oddly, I've gone for another Undertaker nickname. We've had the feed on before, so I mean, I've had about three hours sleep, so we'll use that as mitigation. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, let's stop wasting time. We need to get on to the big game on Friday night. On the other side of this, we'll be joined by the Athletics Derby County correspondent, Ryan Conway. You're probably aware that the Brian Clough Trophy will be up for grabs at the ironically named Pride Park on Friday night. Uh, Joining us now to give us the scoop on Forest Friday night opponents is the Athletics Derby County correspondent, Ryan Conway. Uh, Ryan, you were on hand for the win against Huddersfield on Tuesday night. Was it a deserved third victory in four for the Rams?
3: Yeah, very much so. Um, It was, you know, the the definition of a professional performance. You know, it was on a demo. where they they got a goal from a set piece, they got a goal from a counter-attack. They showed up shop in the last fifteen minutes and kept a clean sheet. Got out of there with uh, without too much bother, really.
1: Well, what's been the secret behind this upturn under under Wayne Rooney? Because it, it has been really impressive the way that he's managed to turn things around. Because it was a pretty unhappy camp under Philip Cocu.
3: Yeah, so I, I think there's quite a lot of things that that have gone on. Actually, I think if you look at in the January transfer window, some of the players that left, you look at Dwayne Holmes who who departed and. Rooney had made it clear that he wasn't a player that fit the culture that that Rooney was was trying to build. I think having a very defined style of play has, has helped. They kind of, you know, at the, at the beginning, they worked the ball out wide and tried to get Colin Kazim-Richards involved. And then when they played much more expansive teams, they tried to keep the ball on the deck and had Kazim Richards drop deep and have runners go, go around him. So it didn't matter what the, the style was. They had a singular focal point in Kazim Richards. And under Philip, they kind of outsmarted themselves a, a lot. And they're um they were kind of yellow bellied under Koku. They 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 were kind of they were soft. They had their lunch money taken from them too many times. And under Wayne, that that isn't the case. They're they're a real tough sort of gritty team.
2: What about Steve McLaren? What what kind of uh, it, it, the, the 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 form uh, upturn in form has kind of obviously coincided with Rooney taking over, but also with uh, roughly speaking with McLaren coming in as well. What kind of impact has he had?
3: He's on the training ground pretty much every day, but doesn't really get active. It's it's Risenia, Walker and Given that lead most of the sessions. McLaren kind of wanders around with his notebook, and then after the sessions, they all the coaches and McLaren kind of congregate and formulate a plan, what's going well, what's not going well, what they need to work on, and and, and all those sorts of things. Now, Rooney's still the guy making the decisions, um, but McLaren is someone that is offering his input pretty regularly, um, and its input Rooney's Rooney's happy to to have. I think there are some staples of, of my old McLaren derby sides in there. I think going back to a, a 4-3-3 where the third midfielder is more deep-lying rather than a more advanced midfielder um, has helped keep a lot of balance in midfield and then when derby've been chasing games they've been playing like this 4-2-4 which was a McLaren staple under derby when they were chasing games so there are a few you know callbacks to to that era in there but i think by and large he he may remains in more of an advisory role i would say rather than anything practical
4: ryan i i i wonder how you find the the dynamic of being a journalist covering a football club and and getting involved in in the kind of rivalry between Derby and Forest, do you become embroiled in it when you get involved with a football club? Do you build a relationship with with that club and, and want to see them do well in situations like this?
3: Yeah, it's funny. Um, when the Forest fan for himself in the river, it was really funny to be honest. <laughs> um, and I still think about that a lot. It's just really, it's just really funny. <laughs> it's it's strange because obviously this is a, this is only my second season. This will be third Forest game I've covered, and it will be the second one with no fans. So. That kind of sucks, to be honest. Um, but yeah, it's, it's it's difficult not it's difficult not to get to get involved because you, you're you're aware of how much the game means. And I think you know I am king of the, the shit post on Twitter <laughs> um, and and memes and all that kind of stuff. So you you have a little bit more fun with it, and it is it is fun and it is funny. Um, you always remember not to take, not to take it too far because you still got a responsibility. But yeah, it's you know fun is fun and and I and I enjoy that that side of things. Um, being part of of that derby community, you realise how much it means to to those fans, as I'm sure you do with with the Forest, you know guys and girls. So yeah, it is it, it is fun to to be a part of while you know you still got a. You still got to remember you've got a, a job to do and responsibilities and stuff like that. But yeah, it's fun, and I still I still think about Chris Martin's ninety uh, seventh minute goal and the guy throwing himself in the river a lot. That that still gives me a lot of amusement. Uh,
1: in case anybody missed that, this was last season that a, a Forest fan for some reason jumped in the canal opposite <laughs> Nottingham Station, thinking that Forest had won the game. Didn't wait for full time. Uh, Forrest then tweeted goal for Derby. Brackets Martin ninety plus seven. Close brackets, and the officer who dug him out had to give him the bad news. Uh, uh, right, a couple more before we before we let you go. Here's a question we've had from from Gareth on Twitter. He wants to know which Derby players should we be looking out for. He says Nathan Byrne worries him.
3: Yeah, Nathan Byrne has been um, has been one of Derby's best signings in the last couple of seasons. To be honest, um, you know they picked him up from Wigan for basically a bus pass, and he was um, at the start not as Flamboyant going forward as Jaden Bogle, but defensively was much more astute. His delivery from open play and from corners recently has been has been absolutely excellent. Um, really does know how to to, to dig out a cross out out on the right. Kazim Richards has, has become he's become a cult hero not only because of his personality, but his play on the field has been genuinely very very good. Um, Derby were after a replacement for Chris Martin, not only just in terms of a striker, but in terms of that mould of striker as well. Kazim Richards came into a uh, Luke one reception would be polite if I'm honest. Um, it was an underwhelming signing at the time, and he didn't get many minutes at the start under under Koku. Um Rooney's used him as a target man, got runners going around him, and he's a, he's a problem out there. I think he's technically much better than you think he is as well. He has a, he has a deceptively good weight of pass on him, and is a, and he's a bully in the air. So so he's someone that that I think needs to be accounted for because he won't just stand up there and, and wait for balls. He'll drop deep, get involved, flick balls around the corner and he'll go. Lee Buchanan at left-back. Both Derby's full-backs are really, really strong. Lee Buchanan has improved massively from last season. Going forward, he's a, he's a real issue. Can get a little unstuck defending 1v1 at times. That's something he's he's still learning. Going forward, he's hard to stop.
1: All right, final question. Uh, Going to have to ask you for a prediction, please. 5-0. <laughs> Forests
4: don't normally score that many. <laughs> um, I, I think Derby will
3: win. There's there's just a, a weird professionalism about them, <laughs> sort of this this, this almost um, early two thousands German efficiency that, that they're going through at the at the moment, where they kind of win games one nil. It's very robust. It's fine. You know, last night was was two nil, and it was all oh okay. That was that was good, wasn't it? That was an easy. Um, digestible 90 minutes to get through with no with no issues and and Rooney has them re- really well drilled um I know Forrest at the minute are, are a little bit up and down winning games kind of in the same manner Darby are by the odd goal and things like that so I don't, I don't think it'll be an expansive game you know buckle up for an attritional game of football folks but but i think I think Derby, I think Darby will I think Darby will win one nil.
1: Listen, Ryan, I would say um, enjoy the game on Friday, but that would be incredibly disingenuous of me. I I do, though, genuinely mean thank you for coming on and joining us today.
3: No, don't worry about it. Thank you for having me. And, you know, for far too long, the Forest propaganda machine on The Athletic has rolled full steam ahead. (laughs) But that that is coming to an end and I'm here to bring balance. I am like Batman.
1: (laughs) Uh, Ryan Conway there, a good man with a bad job, I think it's fair to say. So it was 1-1 when the teams met at the City Ground in October. Forrest's last win at Pride Park was in 2015, 2-1 under Stuart Pearce. Um, Try and dig out, listener, a piece that Nick wrote around that game, which was absolutely brilliant. Is is that your favourite memory of Derby away, Nick? Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, So the the, the piece that I
2: wrote for for the um, website called The Set Pieces um and it's sort of more about my dad than Forest v Derby basically my family was ha- having a bit of a bad time around then my dad had a heart attack a few months before that game we we, we then uh, went to the the game it was terrible for about an hour and then uh, as we'll all remember benny Osborne scored the goal which i think is it, even devoid of the context for me is it would probably be my favorite forest for, certainly, Forest Derby goal, maybe even Forest goal ever. Um, but with the the, the, um, the family circumstances, uh, I I really should. We, we we me and my dad went for a pint after the, after the game, and we kind of said to each other, we probably shouldn't go to ever go to another Forest Derby game ever again after that. <laughs> which we kind of obviously ruined in the next year. I think I think we might have lost five nil the next year. I think it was the was that would that have been david Billy Davis Mark two. Oh God. Um, anyway, yeah, we got absolutely humped in the next year and uh, ruined it all. The memory uh, of that game and the, the sort of the, the, the feeling of being in that way end when Osborne scored the goal is something that will kind of sustain me for many, many years.
1: The good news is that it was actually the year before that that Forrest lost 5 0, but they did yeah. then lose 1 0 the season after, 3 uh, 0 the season after that, 2 0 the season after that. Basically, Paul, Forrest don't really like going to Pride Park that much, but there, there was that memorable, what I would call the Lee Camp game. That was a pretty good one.
4: Yeah, yeah. I, I'd just like to add to what Nick said, really, because that uh, I think what a lot of us do... I mean, I, I wouldn't class myself as a Forest fan, but you can't help supporting the team you cover, and you do get invested in the team. You do want to see them do well. And one of my favourite moments of covering Forest. For, for almost 15 years now, I think is very definitely that Ben Osborne goal, but it was it was all the other stuff that went around it again, but in different ways. The, the fact that his, his dad Damon is a massive, massive Derby fan and was in the forest end going absolutely crackers when Benny scored, uh, and ben and it himself- was his birthday, wasn't it? It was his
1: dad's birthday on the day. I remember Ben uh, tweeting that. Would you would like to wish my dad at Bommerazzi a lifelong Derby fan, a happy birthday? Hope you had a good one, big man. <laughs> and,
4: and- more than that, he got a, another birthday present in that all his car tyres had been stabbed when, it, when he got back to his car. <laughs> uh, somebody clearly knew his circumstances and had literally just vandalised his car, but he, he said he didn't really care. I, I'd be interested to know where he, he lies now, if he kind of leans back towards, towards Derby again now or if he's, he's still got an affinity for Forrest now that his lad's moved on. But uh, yeah, that, that, that was a heck of a day. And it, what, what made it even better as well was just that was the one, the one literal few seconds where you saw Psycho he was Stuart Pearson every other moment but in the moment that goal went in with that sort of Angry stroke, joyous face, the fist pumping in the air, and it, it was the one moment where you felt you let the facade drop and let the inner psycho out, and went absolutely ballistic on the touchline. And and that was just a a great moment. There's a there's a debate, a separate debate, I suppose, to be had on whether he should have let the inner psycho out more often, because a lot of the players spoke afterwards, after his tenure had ended, about what a mellow, calm character he was. He, they'd literally produced terrible performances, and. And he'd never go into the dressing room and bollock anybody. He'd, he'd just, you know, say, "Oh, don't worry, lads. I'll be better in the next game." And, and I wonder if his tenure might have been slightly different had he just managed or just let the, let the beast out a little bit and, and put a little bit of fear of God into the players, because that was a weapon in his armory, without a doubt. And he he never seemed to want to use it. I never quite understood that.
2: It was. It does seem to throughout his kind of managerial career. It seemed to be like a very conscious decision not to be psycho, and yeah, you know, things like or, and and try to be more of a kind of I don't know cerebral coach. In in as much as he you know he tries slightly odd things. The the kind of most obvious one being. Trying to play David James up front at Manchester City, so it it, it did seem like he was extremely aware that uh, people thought of him as you know psycho with the big thighs and the you know the roar and the the hammer of a left foot without kind of take necessarily taking himself taking him seriously as a sort of I don't know thinker of the game. And it was also obviously that game was I think what two games before he eventually got sacked and yeah. uh, you know it, or, or almost certainly if Forrest had lost that game he would have been sacked then and it was it's just, just sort of just to delay the inevitable but while I didn't want necessarily want Pierce to be Forest manager for for various reasons that game and the moment he came out of the tunnel in a, for his first game mm. I forget who that was against but Blackpool um, Blackpool yeah. Where he he came out of the tunnel, and it, there's there's no way that this that this would have been choreographed, but the moment he came out of the tunnel was just at the moment where the PA dropped the sort of the music of Mull of Kintyre, and it, it was the bit where the fans took over and started s- singing it, which you know. If if it was choreographed, then um, congratulations to whoever did it. But mm. I, I would imagine that Forest were, were such a shambles behind the scenes at that stage that no one could have choreographed anything uh, quite that <laughs> perfectly. But that moment and the Benny Osborne goal were made his entire spell as manager Forest manager worth it. Really,
1: yeah, and he'll always be kind of linked with games against Derby. I think for supporters of our our vintage uh, back to 2021 Paul in, in terms of team news for Friday night's game presumably Graben Amiobi McKenna all unlikely to be fit in
4: time now, Amiobi's back in training uh, I'm, I'm not sure whether he'll be involved or not they seem to be quite cautious with him I guess that's because it was a knee injury uh, Graben won't be that that at least is what Houghton said last night whether he's trying to keep an ace up his sleeve I don't know but he, he says he, he definitely won't be ready uh, And McKenna's McKenna's still not back in training but it's an interesting one because the performance last night, I imagine he made a few changes very much with a view to an eye on Rotherham and the type of game that was going to be. I'm thinking of, about the inclusion of, of Ryan Yates and Gaetan Bong in particular. They were just bought in to add a little bit of a extra physical dynamic and a bit of strength to cope with a very direct, very robust very well organised and good at what they do Rotherham Rotherham's side and it worked a treat but the performances of both of those players has probably left him with a real decision to make because I don't know if he already had in mind what his derby team would be if he was thinking about bringing a, a perhaps a refreshed James Garner back in or if he was thinking about having Yuri Ribeiro back rampaging up and down the left side but the performance of those two is really giving him food for thought. I'm not sure he could drop either of them. Cyrus Christie was brilliant as well. The two centre-halves were outstanding. But those two, perhaps because they were brought back into the team, were, were, were really the ones that that stood out and really, you know, perhaps show that Hughton does know what he's doing after all, when you when you look at the, the team selections he's made in recent times. You know, Glenn Murray's first start against Wickham prompted a lot of derision on Twitter and then he scored two goals. Then you had, you know, there was a few, a few people, not so many, questioning Alex Maiten's inclusion against Blackburn. And then he scores the winner, and then obviously Ryan Yates pops up last night, having been brought back into the side uh, with a big goal. So maybe Chris Hughton does know what he's doing, and hopefully that'll be evident again on on Friday night. Yeah, we'll find out at quarter to seven on Friday night when the team
1: news drops, and Paul wishes that he could turn off the replies. On his Twitter feed. (laughs) Quarter to eight is the kickoff time for Friday's game. You knew that already, listener. We'll react to it in next week's show.
0: Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right.
2: Old scrap for the ball, and Yates comes out with it. That flew in from Ryan Yates, and Nottingham Forest are on the
1: rise under Chris Hughton. Two thirds of the game gone, and they are powered ahead. So, on Tuesday night, Forrest continued their impressive recent form by picking up three points from their trip to Rotherham. Ryan Yates' second-half goal, enough to give the good guys the W. It means, as we record, Forrest are 10 points clear of the relegation zone and merely 10 points from the playoff places. A question from Twitter comes from George, who quite reasonably wants to know, how will Forrest decide which fans are allowed to go to the playoff final in May? Um Nick, I'm trying to talk myself out of the fact that we are now on a promotion push rather than a relegation battle. Am I am I crackers?
2: I think you should talk yourself into it. I mean, there are, as we all know at the moment, while there's a bit of light at the end of the tunnel, we've still got another few months of, um, you know, of drudgery and unpleasantness. So, I don't know, a little bit of perhaps over optimistic hope is isn't can't hurt i suppose actually it can hurt when it inevitably uh, falls apart again but you can probably uh, sort of comfort yourself in the knowledge that it's not going to fall apart quite as sort of emotionally and as painfully as last season yeah go for it so we're going to we're going to get the playoffs we'll get promoted Champions League in three or four years. There you go.
1: <laughs> Excellent. Looking forward to that. And um, Paula, I know you're a bit more circumspect, particularly given the games that Forest have got coming up in the in the next couple of weeks. David wants to know where do you genuinely think we'll finish at the end of this season. If you had to put a position on it now, what would you go
4: for? I wouldn't put it past them finishing ninth or tenth. You know, I I think the way they're going, they've they've got some good form together. They they are in probably playoff form, if we're entirely honest. They've only lost two in fourteen. They've only conceded two goals in the last seven games. Five clean sheets. Chris Hughton's got them playing with with the kind of identity you would expect from his sides. You know, we spoke to fans of Brighton uh, in particular who. who told us that he was going to be this very much this kind of manager where the, the priority would be to tighten things up at the back, to get them organised and disciplined and and then to build from there. And that has very much proved to be what's happened. Uh, Forest are very difficult to beat now. They, they don't look like they're going to lose very many matches. They don't look like they're going to score many goals at the minute, but that's not because of a lack of chances. They create chances. And if they can find their killer touch, then there'll be a real force to be reckoned with. I, I, I just think, Sadly, it's probably a little bit too late, but that doesn't mean we can't enjoy the rest of the season and and hopefully, uh, you know, s- some positive times, positive times to come. They they have got a very a very tough run of, of fixtures coming up after the derby game. There's there's Luton, which isn't perhaps quite so hard in terms of the the, the fixtures beyond that, because after that they've got Watford at home, uh, Watford away, Reading and Norwich at home, Brentford away, Cardiff away, uh, and and they aren't. They aren't going to be easy games uh, given Forrest's record against the top six. Obviously, there's an opportunity there to prove me entirely wrong. If they can go and start beating teams in the top six, they'll naturally make up ground on them and I'll I'll eat some humble pie. Uh, But I I just think that without playing down the vast improvement that he's inspired and and how positive things feel, that that they've probably left it a little bit too late. It would take something absolutely remarkable for them to get in the playoff places, I'm afraid. But uh, this is one occasion where I will be very... Very happy to be proved wrong.
1: What about Rotherham then, Paul? You were on hand for the Athletic. I was I was uh, covering another game, so I didn't see the full 90 minutes. But from the highlights I've watched, it felt maybe that Forrest were a tad lucky. There could have been a double offside with the goal. Rotherham hit the bar, missed a couple of chances. It wasn't a straightforward win by any means.
4: I think they deserved it. I think they were the better side. Uh, in fact, I'm pretty certain they were the better side. They, they had... Uh, more chances they had more better passages of play than Rotherham in, in typical forest fashion they it was themselves that you know they didn't make it easy for themselves when they had opportunities to do so there were there were so many close but no cigar moments you know Anthony Knocker had a couple of good chances and was denied by saves Brian Yates had a header over the bar even though he's offside uh, Glenn Murray you know he had the ball in the net once and came close on two other occasions and again was caught offside so the, these were all really fine margins but all really positive moments it, it Forrest set up for exactly the kind of game it was going to be and I understand where people are coming from when they complain that there's this notion that Forrest should be able to go to Rotherham and impose their will on the game and make it the kind of game that they want it to be. But I think that's a little bit naive. They, Rotherham were going to play in a certain way, no matter what Forrest did. You can talk about them trying to keep the ball themselves or you know playing a side themselves, but they were always going to have to set up to play against a very direct, very robust Rotherham side. And they did that and they coped with it very, very well. Uh, it was only really in the final stages when it was real back to the wall stuff and, and Forrest perhaps sat a little bit too deep that, that Rotherham did have real real chances and they did hit the bar and could very easily have got a point. But I, I think overall it was uh, a very astute tactical performance and a, a, a win that was thoroughly deserved, even if some familiar frustrations probably remained at the end of it. And you, you just love it. I mean, this ideal time to do it on Friday. But just for Forrest to go and do what they do, particularly you know, we saw them play really well at Swansea, for example, create loads of chances, fail to put any of them away, and lose. It would be great for them to go to Derby, produce the same level of performance, stick a few of those chances away, and and keep the momentum going at the expense of, of one of their biggest rivals. That that is the the perfect scenario. That would be the perfect time for them to to put this sort of lack of killer killer touch to bed. They, they, they've only scored twenty seven goals, I think, this thirty one games and that kind of epitomises the area that, that they still need to improve in if they want to make that step from being mid-table to, to challenging for promotion again.
1: Yeah, and that's very much the focus of uh, Paul's piece in the wake of that game against Rotherham. So, so it could do with being more clinical up front, Nick. And we, we mentioned that Lyle Taylor's the top scorer and he hasn't scored in ages, but they are sharing the load quite effectively. Always think that that's quite a good sign for a team if you're not overly reliant on one player in the way that Forrest were with Lewis Grabban last season.
2: Yeah, it's, it's. I think it's partly a consequence of um, kind of injuries because Grabben hasn't been uh, has been in and out of the team with various ailments. But yeah, it's uh, as you say, it, it's certainly better for the the current scenario any, anyway that um, Forest aren't especially reliant on one single player. You, He'd uh, like to. Uh, Knockhart's been sort of uh, unlucky is a slightly iffy word, but he's you know he's been very close certainly to scoring in the last. Last three or four games really he obviously hit the bar uh, he hit the bar last night um he certainly came very close. And um, he, he came close against Blackburn as well. So you would have thought that, at some point, one of those will go in. And uh, Yates has obviously, obviously scored last night, and he's certainly got that late break into the the box run about him. Um, he, he, he could obviously do with improving his finishing, but he's you know he's still a young midfielder. He's 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 a work in progress. Um, I think you would probably like to see more goals from players in that kind of number ten position, but yeah if you know lolly or um uh, or you know amiobi if he's back in the team if they could grab a couple, then that will be very handy indeed. But yeah, as you say, very handy that, that we're not relying on one
1: single player. A couple of individuals I wanted to get some thoughts on. Firstly, Paul, Brees Samba, is he back? We, we saw that that magnificent penalty save against Blackburn on Saturday. A couple of important saves against Rotherham too. He's, he's the king of Twitter, but it feels like he's got his mojo back on the pitch too.
4: Yeah, absolutely. It was hard to escape the notion last night. In fact, I think I tweeted about it at one point that Everything that came into his box last night, he was just decisive and determined and confident and, and came to get. And if ever there was a, a game where you needed to do that, it was it was against Rotherham. He, he was brilliant. I think as a central defender, if you're Joe Warrell or Tobias Figueiredo, the sense of confidence you must get from having a player with his level of assurance behind you must, must be great. It must give you kind of confidence and belief that you don't really need to worry that if there is a high ball into the box and, and you're not challenging for it, that that, that the keeper's going to come and tidy it up. Um, he, he didn't have too many save saves to make, he, but what he, he was still busy, if that makes any sense. He, he had a night where he had a lot of work to do, even if much of it wasn't actually stopping shots on goal. He, he, he kind of was more of a custodian of, of his penalty area, if you like, and he, he did that very, very well. And he very much does feel like that, the samba that we were used to last season. He looks like he's got his confidence back and he's very much playing with that little bit of swagger that always made him a a fan's favourite. Again, without labouring the point too much, I think it's another reason why it'd be great to see fans back in the stadium, just purely because he's somebody that thrives off that and uh, it'd be great to see that relationship resume.
1: Yeah, Nick. We spoke a, a couple of weeks ago about about how it can be difficult to find a connection to to Forest players these days. He's kind of the exception to that, isn't he? I, I mentioned that the Twitter, him sharing clips of himself time-wasting with a poo emoji and a house emoji always makes me laugh. Just the fact that he looks so resplendent in his all-luminous yellow kit. And now that now that he's back to being one of the division's most reliable goalkeepers, you sort of can't help but fall in love with him a bit.
2: Yeah, I mean, we're all Forest fans listening to this. And, well, it, you know, if you're not, then you're a slightly curious person. Um, but so you will have no doubt already seen the the clip that Matt's referring to, but it is an absolute sensation in, in time-wasting. He kind of puts the... He's taking a goal kick and he kind of puts the ball outside the six-yard box and then when it's pointed out, no, nope, you need to move it back a foot or so, Brees, he kind of does a... Oh, oh is it? Oh, sorry. Sorry, I'm new.
1: <laughs> points at the ball, points at the ground, points at his gloves. Sorry, I'm, is
2: I'm, magnificent I, I'm quite new to this. You're going to have to walk me through all the, <laughs> you know, the exact rules. It's a little bit difficult to get bogged down in the kind of minutiae and he also does i mean he he always does this but he he does a sort of almost Simone zazar esque run up to when he takes a goal kick little kind of tippy toe thing doesn't seem to get much momentum and then absolutely leathers it <laughs> yeah and uh, and uh, paul was saying um Uh, He was very, against Rotherham, he was very proactive in in coming for crosses and dominating the penalty area and such. He's also quite proactive in distribution as well. When he Mm. would come out for those crosses, he would um, very very quickly have his head up and be, it, it would, not all the time, he was kind of selective about it but he would kind of quickly get the throw out or the kick to um, you know to, to the often to the right wing it didn't always work but it was good to see that that, that that he was being a little bit more decisive about it and yeah as Paul says that you would think speaks to his um, confidence being pretty high at the moment
1: And Paul you spoke to to Joe Lolly after after the game he, he seems to be confident that he can get back to his best form as, as the team continued to improve that could be key to increasing Forest goals output I suppose if we can get kind of two years ago Joe Lully
4: yeah it's it's, it's a curious one with Joe isn't it I mean he, he had these injury problems uh, over the summer that kind of set him back and admitted it affected his confidence and he, he he he's such an honest bloke Joe and he, he's quite an intelligent fellow and I think he's quite analytical of himself and he, I think he accepted that it was kind of good for him to have a little break from from the action and just have time to recover his physical sharpness and perhaps even his mental sharpness as well and you do feel that he has perhaps got both back now certainly the performance at wickham when he came off the bench he was outstanding in that little cameo he had he he almost scored with his first touch and then he set up another goal and yeah to, to completely agree with you you're absolutely right you do want or you do hope that that we are going to see the joe lolly of old back in in the side and, and doing what he does best because in his pomp, in in only last season and the season before, he was he was one of the best performers in the championship. He was one of the most creative and dangerous wide players in the division, and uh, the, you know there were Premier League clubs looking at him. Aston, Aston Villa were keen, uh, and and you could understand why. Obviously, I'm I'm not I'm not hoping that Forest put a for sale, sign in his head by any means, but it'd be great if he got back to that kind of performance level where. Premier League clubs were sitting up and taking notice and there's no reason why it can't happen. But, you know, I guess his first step is to, to get himself back into the into the starting line-up on a regular basis because that is one area of the pitch where Forrester are blessed with a heck of a lot of options when you look at the likes of Freeman and, and Maiten, who's also done very well. Ami Obu's injured, Knockhart's starting to look a bit more like what you expected he would be when he first signed. There's, there's a whole, you know... Kravinovic as well in that number 10 role has done well. So there's a whole clutch of players all fighting for, for three spots in the side in that 4-2-3-1 formation. But that that perhaps in itself is one of the reasons why Forrester flourished because there is that competition for places now and it's inspiring better from, from a lot of players, I think.
1: Uh, briefly on the Blackburn game, which has also happened since, since last we met, Nick, a uh, third home clean sheet in a row and... and all the hallmarks of a Chris Hutton team victory here, I think sort of played well early on and, and then just defended stoutly as, as Blackburn looked for the equaliser. Yeah, I think
2: we mentioned it last week, but the, the, I mean, Chris Hutton is being very Chris Houghton at the moment. It's kind of exactly as I think we mentioned earlier, it's exactly what we were sort of sold or what we expected of of him. Um, and yeah, the, the uh, another clean sheet, I think in the... Um, these f- sort of form table things are always quite arbitrary, but um, in the last ten games, nobody in division has conceded fewer goals than Forest. Um, third in the twenty twenty one form table, it's it's exactly uh, you, you you always slightly uh slightly skeptical about how much these things were actually thought about when the decision was made but this is exactly what you hire chris huton to do you you know it tightens up the team makes a it makes the defense very strong not always the most sort of you know attractive or, or pretty to watch but my god you'd rather have that than the alternative.
1: Yeah, absolutely. A um, couple of things, Paul, that I wanted your opinion on from the from the Blackburn game. The, the first was the the performance of of Alex Mighton, who who was the subject of your your post match piece. But also, I noticed that the club piped in some crowd noise into the into the stadium for this game. How was that received
4: in the press box? It, it was it was curious, you know. I, I'll be honest with you, I, I couldn't make up my mind about it, I, and I'd be interested to know what it was like for people watching on television because. In the ground, and I don't mean this as a criticism at all, but it was just the faintness of it that, that rankled with me a little bit. It it it, it didn't seem quite right when you're actually there. Maybe it's the slight tinniness of the tannoy. But equally, I, I know from when I've watched games on television, I, I, I'm an absolute stickler for making sure it's the one, the version that's got the crowd noise on it. Because I just think it makes it better when you're watching on television. So... It's a tough one. I, I I think the club have done the right thing by trying it. I think it probably does work to some degree if you're watching it on television. It might even help the players. They all seem quite positive about it and Chris Hutton certainly uh, felt that it made a difference. So if, if it helps the players and it helps uh, you know, the manager in his eyes and, and, and it makes it feel better when it's on television, then I'm all for it. But actually being sat in the centre of it, it all felt a bit curious and maybe it's something that you'll get used to over time. But... Uh, Hopefully that isn't the case because hopefully fans will be back sooner rather than later. But in in the meantime, then 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 maybe it's it's something that could be a useful tool.
2: I kind of I I, I kind of agree with Paul there, and I feel the same way about the any kind of piped in noise as I do about the an apologies for bringing another sport into this, but about <laughs> the barmy army for the England cricket team who are. An absolutely dreadful bunch of self-important bores who think that they are kind of more important. Seem to think they're more important than than any other fans just because I've got some trumpeter playing. But the the players love them, and uh, if if it helps the the players in any any way at all, I magnanimous soul that I am, am perfectly prepared to uh, to Put aside my own prejudices and welcome them in. So yeah, if the as Paul says, if the the piped-in crowd noise helps in any any respect at all, then all for it.
1: Are you watching games with with fake crowd noise or without uh, Nick? Or do you, do you mix it up a bit?
2: I uh, try uh, where, where there's an option without, um, which is still a bit weird, but um, it it doesn't kind of it's not enormously intrusive it just sounds a bit odd so yeah w- w- when there's an option just just stick with the, the commentator and the audible swearing from um, from the touchline
1: <laughs> uh, Maiten then Paul mentioned he was the subject of your piece yes. lots of nice quotes in there from, from some of his teammates about his potential and, and, and a glimpse that he's maybe starting to fulfil it or at least get the opportunity to do so now
4: yeah I, I, as much as I'd like to see Alex Maiten playing every week because he's a, he's a great player to watch he's somebody that gets you on the edge of your seat when he, whenever he gets on the ball because you never know what he's going to do. I'm not convinced he knows what he's going to do half the time, but he's just such an unpredictable talent. And he's got that burst of pace. He's got that bit of trickery uh, with, with that great hair he's got. He almost looks like he's in kinetic motion before he's even moved. He, he looks like a sort of cartoon character, uh, sort of, you know, Billy Whiz type is, is great. I, I like the way that Chris Hewton's handling him. I, I can see it from two ways. I want to see him play every week because he's brilliant, but I also understand why Chris Hewton's been a little bit more cautious uh, and just sort of dipping him in and out of the side. I don't think Rotherham was the, the the perfect game to be involved in because, you know, without it being a criticism, he's not the physically most strong of players. He's, 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 he's not the biggest of fellas and... and I think a robust physical battle perhaps wouldn't have been for him. But the, the thing that stood out for me in that whole article was, yes, well, lots of other people had very positive things to say about him. It's what he says himself. He he seems to be so grounded and so level-headed and he, he's got the perfect balance of ambition and drive and realism as well. I, I, I think he probably understands the position he's in and is quite patient about getting more of an opportunity. His, his dad, Eddie, was talking to some of my former colleagues at the nottingham post he uh eddie was a really really bright talent when he was a kid in the 80s he, he played uh, forgive me i can't remember if it was city or county schools but he, he represented nottingham in, in in one or the other and was regarded as being one of the brightest talents of his generation and was at forest in forest academy for a short while he, he didn't quite make it but it, it wasn't through a lack of talent and i i i wonder if there's somehow you know a little bit of desire there from eddie just to make sure that that Alex walks the right path and and doesn't perhaps, you know, uh, let things slip in the same way that he did, that he makes the most of the talent he has got. We actually asked Eddie to, to talk for the article, but he, he gave me the most polite no I've ever had in my entire life, I think. He he was a very, a very kind, very friendly man, but didn't want to get involved in the article. But Everything you hear about him suggests that he's a very, a very good influence on 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 Alex, who's who's still only just eighteen. It's hard to remember that sometimes, given that it was a year ago that he he made his debut at Chelsea and, and did so in in Premier League company and didn't look like he he shouldn't have been in that company. He he, he fitted right in, and I, I think he's somebody that that Forest fans can be very excited about seeing develop and evolve in the in the Forest side in in the next few years, hopefully.
2: It's also I mean we, when you have some a player as exciting as he is, then it's very easy for as a fan to kind of demand that he's in the team every week mm. and While I'm very much not comparing them in terms of talent levels, phil Foden was in a sort of similar situation two or three years ago where mm. everyone was desperate for him to be in the man City team a lot more, but Guardiola was very. Cautious about him, odd games here and there. Very much eased him into the team, and you know, basically now look at him. He's he's one of the best players in the country. So again, the the, the talent levels are, are are very very different. But the the way that um, that Hewton seems to be managing him by giving him you know a few games in the first team, but not putting too much pressure on him and not too putting you know. Uh, making his workloads too much or, or you know, basically wearing him out too young, I think is exa- exactly the right thing to do.
1: Yeah, very sensible. Alex Mighton got a big future. Let's hope that it's
0: at Forest, at least for the foreseeable. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to com slash courtside to learn more. All right, not long left in today's pod, but still time for this.
1: Yes, it's Did They Really Play for Forest. We'll get to this week's game soon enough, but first we need to address the huge controversy surrounding last week's game. Uh, Listener, you'll remember the subject was Ryan Bertrand, who has indeed played for Forest, but has also, contrary to our Quizmaster's assertion, Played for England at a tournament. Uh, many thanks to listener Stuart Levy who pointed out the error via Twitter and asked whether an incorrect clue invalidates the game. It absolutely does, Stuart. Uh, it also calls into question the trustworthiness of the quiz master, I'm afraid. Uh, Nick, what on earth happened here? How do you explain such a sloppy error? Were you nodding off when they, when they taught you about fact-checking in journalism school? <laughs>
4: Got into well, the there
2: yeah, it's my. Who won last week? Is it? Did, did, was it you, Paul? I, yes. I this 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 sounds, irrelevant, invalidated this, game. This really does sound like the 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 bitter complaints of a, <laughs> a, a losing quizzer.
4: It sounds like <laughs> Boris Johnson talking about journalism. <laughs> uh, I confess,
2: I may have fallen into the trap of um, assuming that. Because the reserve left-back never plays at uh, international tournaments, so I confess I may have fallen into the trap of seeing his name on the uh, the Euro 2016 squad list and just assuming he didn't appear. So I can only apologise to the whole quizzing and Nottingham Forest community, and I will (laughs) endeavour to uh, make sure that such an, an egregious error doesn't happen again.
1: Yeah, never assume. Makes an ass out of you and me, etc. and so on. Uh, you can have a shot at redemption now, but 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 let's be clear about this, Nick. This is a crucial moment for this podcast. So please, <laughs> let's get it right.
2: Okay, so this is for any new, new listeners. This is uh, did they really play for Forest? It's a five. It's five clues, and you have to guess the identity of a uh, relatively famous player who uh, played for Forest, but we don't necessarily remember it. So the first clue. In my first season in England, I played alongside
1: Viv Anderson. Ooh, first season in England would, would indicate it's uh, it's maybe not an English player. Mm. Uh, hmm.
4: Paul, you got anything? No, not at this stage. Uh,
1: hmm. No, I've, 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 I've got some things bubbling away, but I'm not quite prepared to make a guess yet. Can we have another clue, please?
2: <laughs> okay, clue number two. In that season, I won a trophy under a former Forest manager.
1: Oh. Right, okay. Uh, uh, okay, it's getting a little bit clearer now. Paul, anything coming to mind? Well,
4: I'm glad it's getting clearer for you, because I've got nothing. <laughs>
1: uh, I was going to say somebody called Kietel Oswald. <laughs> who is that? I
2: don't know, no idea who that is.
1: Seven appearances uh, between 86 and 88, but no, it's not him. Sure, the, the, the famous uh, Kietel Oswald. Yeah, to, uh, um,
2: no, it's not him. So uh, clue number three, and uh, one of the reasons I
1: chose him for this episode,
2: episode, I
1: also played
2: for Derby County.
1: Okay, so I'm kind of piecing this together, Paul. and thinking it's a Man United player he played under Big Ron as well as yeah. playing for Forest in Derby but but I'm still scratching my head <sighs> uh, uh, obviously oh. it's not Neil Webb uh,
4: you got anything Paul? I, I can't think of his name I've got an inkling about a random goalie but I've got nothing more than that Les Seeley? No. No.
2: No, 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 no. Okay, sorry. You can't you, I'm sorry, Matt. You can't
1: attack me so aggressively. <laughs> and then guess
2: players who just didn't play for Forest.
1: Come on. Man. Guesses can't be wrong though, can they? By their very nature whereas facts can. Um <laughs> wow. I'm loving this. That is that is a
2: shoulder dislocating reach there, Matt.
1: <laughs> uh, let's have another clue, please.
2: Okay, this one might make it a bit clearer. I am currently a manager in America.
1: Ooh. Hmm. Does that make it any clearer, I wonder? Uh, In America, you say? Just trying to think of some teams in
4: America that we might know. Uh, Paul, anything coming to mind here? I'm having one of those stinkers this week where I haven't even got a name to offer. I've got nothing. My, my mind is blank. I, I'm looking out over a barren landscape of nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in a pretty similar position, to be perfectly honest. Do we have
1: any more clues, Nick? Is there one left? Uh, yeah, one more. Okay, one more. let's do it.
2: I only made three appearances for Forrest in the ill-fated 98-99 season under Ron, Big Ron Atkinson. Is it Richard Goff? It's not, though I can see why you went there. Mm.
1: Oh, well,
4: no, no, I don't think it's him. Paul, have you got a guess? He made more than three appearances, I know he did, so I know it's wrong, but I was going to say Olsen because he manages out there, doesn't
1: he? Yeah, I thought Olsen too, and then I thought maybe John Hart. It's John Hart. Oh, yes. well, uh, yeah. Well thought Yeah, I thought we were going to get, I don't think
2: we've had a, a, a complete stomper yet that has got both of you after all five clues, but. Um, that's what I was hoping to get there then, but yeah, that's a that's a good one.
1: That was really right. that was a really good uh, really good way of wording the clues, actually, Nick. Because the Viv Anderson, Ron Atkinson thing was Chef Wed wasn't it? Not Man United. It was,
2: yeah, the nineteen ninety one League Cup they won, and it was also uh, also in the final. Do you know who was on the bench for the the uh, for Chef Wednesday in that in that final? Didn't come on, but he was on the bench. <laughs> No, I don't know who was on Sheffield Wednesday's bench in the 1991 <laughs> very, League Cup final. <laughs> very, very, very famous uh, ex-former Forest player. Scored a very, very, very big goal in Forest's history. Jempson? <laughs> no, much bigger than that. Uh, uh,
1: no, Francis? I do It was Trevor Francis. Trevor Francis was yes. on the bench. Yes, yes. Um, did they have Asda as their shirt sponsor at that time?
2: Uh yes, it would have been pre Sanderson days, yeah, wouldn't it? So I would have thought days, it was. Yeah. It was probably as to Yeah, the the Cru- Maybe maybe if I'd
1: used that as a clue, um, then you wouldn't have <laughs> got it. You? Uh, listen, I think you've redeemed yourself there, Nick. That was um that was a fun game, and and I feel like all those clues were on the money. So well
4: done. I'm not sure it was a fun game. I'm gonna I'm gonna put that out there. <laughs> I'm, I'm, yeah. I feel I feel terrible here. I feel like my... there's a lot of bad a lot of bad losers
2: in this game. You know. Yeah, that's Man. true. Matt chipping off because he lost last week. You declaring the game's
1: rubbish, didn't win this week, Paul. (laughs) I don't think the game's rubbish. I think Paul and I are rubbish, and and that can damage your self confidence after a while. Yeah, fair enough. Um, So maybe give us Stuart Pearce next week, and let's see. (laughs) Uh, Before we go, Nick, what are you working on at the moment for the Athletic, please? Uh, So I think I mentioned it,
2: may have mentioned it a a, a few weeks ago, but I uh, have interviewed uh, James Coppinger, who. is in his final of 17 seasons for Doncaster Rovers um, he's coming up to his I think 600th league game for Donny so I think he, that piece will be going out at some point next week um, there is a, there's a little bit about uh, Forrest and I also spoke, spoke to Sean O'Driscoll um, for the for the piece for a few memories of, uh, about working with James he said he, w- he gets one of the questions he gets or one of the the things that he gets most is people stopping him, in the forest, forest fans stopping him in the street, and saying, "You were the one that got got away. If only you'd have stayed for a little bit longer." Um, so, yeah, that's, I think that should be going out next week. Also, um, it already out. Uh, I think I mentioned it again last week. Was is the um, uh, podcast about uh, Justin Fashionu? which is based on a brilliant article by Adam Crafton. Mm. Um, but we did a pod version of it, which went out this week. Uh, search for Beyond the Headline and your uh, favourite pod rider, or indeed listen on
1: The Athletic. Yeah, well worth uh, checking out both the podcast and the article for that. Uh, Paul, we've mentioned your, your Alex Might and Peace and, and the post and bit. I guess it's mm. all, all eyes on Friday
4: now for you. Yeah, Uh There'll be a match piece after the the game on Friday night, but also following up from the the Chris Commons piece, there was uh, uh, another <laughs> former Forest player from that era who, who perhaps partially because he uh, he read that Commons piece and was inspired by it, wanted to uh, uh, was happy to share a few stories of his own about perhaps being a little bit misunderstood about his time at Forest. So uh, keep an eye out uh, for that early next week. It really is uh, another hopefully. Interesting story, as much as the Commons was. Uh, Commons piece was. He, he spoke very honestly and told me a few things I didn't know about his time at Forest. So that one should be interesting.
1: Excellent listener. If you're fast and you're not currently an Athletic subscriber, you've just about got time to take advantage of the fifty percent off offer that we are running. It expires, though, on the 25th of February, so you will have to be quick. Just go to theathletic.com slash forestpod for all the details on that. Many thanks to Nick, to Paul, and to producers Lucy and Adie for their help this week. We'll catch up with you again next week when we're basking in the glory of a win at Pride Park. Until then, take care of yourselves. We'll speak to you soon.
4: The Athletic.